Welcome to the Rainbows and Rain podcast, the podcast for early interventionists. My name is Erica, and I'm an ECSE teacher in Minnesota. R&R is about connecting through stories and reflecting on practices on visits. Listen as I share how I try to put best practice and research to work in real life and on real visits. I hope this podcast helps you connect and reflect on your own visits and interactions with families. Welcome to what is episode 18 of the Rainbows and Rain podcast. And I want to talk about a topic that I've wanted to talk about for a while. And it reflects a lot about how my practice has evolved over the years. And it's things I really hear a lot whenever I am in staff development or um, teaming with other team members or just talking with other uh, providers in the field. So I thought it'd be good to kind of open it up to um, the R&R audience and see how you guys feel about some of these things. So I'm going to start with the top 10 coaching myths out there. A lot of these I hear myself and it's there's also a lot of um, articles and literature out there on these quote-unquote coaching myths. I don't know if I like to call them myths, but I definitely would call them misconceptions about coaching. So I I don't know if I'm going to talk about all 10 of them, but uh, there is a top 10 out there if you want to Google it. Um, top 10 coaching misconceptions or myths, early intervention, it'll pop right up on Google. Okay, so the first thing I want to say about coaching is, number one, it is not a service delivery model, and it is not a style of intervention. So it is definitely not those two things. Coaching is a way to interact and empower families. I think that's about as simple as you can put it um, in the most simplest terms. So if I had to describe what coaching is, that's truly what it is. It's empowering families and involving them in the intervention process. So again, it is not a service delivery model and it is not a specific intervention It is a style and way to interact with families. So speaking just for myself, um, coming into the field, I feel like I did some of these things before I knew a lot about coaching and the research and practices behind coaching. I definitely did not do all of them. So I think in nature, many of us do some of these things already, but it's coaching in its fidelity really takes it just one step further to really involve the caregiver in what is going to happen and what you're going to do on visits and in between visits. Okay, so next and moving on, number two, I hear this from people all the time, coaching only works with certain families. I would say that's definitely a misconception that coaching works differently with different families, but 
coaching works with all families. So for example, some families might need more support than others, but it's definitely something that can be used with every different kind of family you can think of or that is out there. There are definitely some families out there where it is just naturally easier to coach them. And there are the families that where it's just definitely hard to coach them for whatever reason, like maybe it's hard to motivate them or the carryover isn't very good or whatever the case might be. But I will say in my experience, it's, um, I haven't found a family where I've said this doesn't work with. I, it, what's the case most often is it's hard with that family. I'm going to piggyback on that last one a little bit. So thinking about coaching only works with certain families. There are some misconceptions out there that coaching only works with certain children or certain disabilities. So I also really want to dispel that myth as well. I've worked with many different kinds of disabilities and kids with developmental delays. I think the one I hear this the most with is kids with autism or autism indicators and the need to implement structure and um, an ABA style um, intervention strategies and that you can do that. I'm not saying that you can't do that, but you really need to involve that caregiver and empower that caregiver that they can do some of those things and that they want to do some of those things. So many of us have a wide knowledge base on working with children with autism. We know what kind of works with them and for them, even though each child on the spectrum is different. But when it comes to that parent, This most often is their very first experience with autism. So we really need to back up and really start slow and start small and start targeting the things that the caregiver is struggling with. And by empowering them to make changes, then you can move on to some of those more um, involved interventions that we know help children make progress. But I think starting with um, the caregiver and just what the caregiver is struggling with, you know, what they're struggling with, within their routines, within their day, starting there and then building on that. So it's, it definitely works for kids that are very, very involved um, with multiple needs to, you know, kids with mild delays and things like that. So um, coaching shouldn't just be targeted for a specific group of, you know, disabilities or specific group of children. Like, for example, I'll hear like, you know, coaching the infants is really a lot easier than coaching like two and three year olds. But um, I really want to encourage people to not look at that a whole lot different. The parent is still the expert when it comes to that child. The caregiver is still the expert when it comes to their day, what's manageable, how it works, how it looks. So that that's the 
knowledge they bring to the table on visits. And what we bring is our expertise, our huge hat of strategies, but we need to know which which strategies to pull out of that hat. And that's where that back and forth comes in with the caregiver and coaching. Okay, so number four, some people don't want to be coached. They just want to be told what to do. I would say I've also ran into that with families where they're literally looking at me, asking me what I should do. My response to that is always typically to the caregiver, what do you think you should do? And kind of going through the reflection process, a lot of times parents just want affirmation of they know what to do. So part of that is like lack of self-confidence that they know what to do or that they can do this too. And that's why they just want to quote unquote, be told what to do. If parents and caregivers just wanted to be told what to do and they actually did it, then that would be a great intervention strategy in and of itself. I've rarely seen that work, to be honest, Um, where, you know, I, you know, I wish I could just say, okay, do A, B, and C, and it'll cure D. And it just, it just doesn't work very well. So even with families that do want to be told what to do, they're not, that's not really what they're asking or what they're looking for. They're looking for that confidence boost or that affirmation that they know what to do. Okay, so number five, this next one is huge. Um, Coaching does not allow the practitioner to touch the child, parentheses, direct therapy. I have no idea where that misconception came from, but coaching absolutely lets you be as hands-on as you need to be. So it, if you, I mean, that's just kind of a given in our job. We need to put our hands on kids sometimes to like assess, uh, especially like PTs and OTs as they kind of look at muscle tone and things like that, or a range of motion. Um, or even when you're demonstrating, like right now I have a baby, um, with a brain injury, I absolutely want to put my hands on that baby and show mom how to work through rolling and teaching how to roll and motor planning. The caveat to that is it needs to then be turned over to her. She needs to be the one to put her hands on the child. So I will say that absolutely you're going to put your hands on the child, but so is that parent or caregiver while you are there. Because they need to feel like they know what they're doing too and what they're doing is right. So absolutely, it's going to let you put the hands on the child. Um, Not exactly sure where that came from, but I'm guessing it came from this next next misconception, which is coaching is a watered-down approach to service delivery. Actually, I would say it's anything but. It really brings together the the parent or the caregiver and the service provider into more of a, I don't know what I would compare it to, but just into more of a collaborative 
uh, exchange of ideas and you're going to get, I think, more progress and, and you're going to learn new things that you wouldn't have even thought of that parents will start to think of. So for example, I might be sitting in a visit sometimes and we'll be exchanging ideas or brainstorming a certain way of trying to do something and that parent will say something and I'll be like, oh my gosh, I never thought of that. Like that's, that's an excellent idea, but they know their day. They know what they have access to. They know their routine. So again, it's, they are their experts in their own life. We bring the strategies, we bring that expertise to kind of help fit this puzzle together. Okay, so I think we're on number seven. And so this links back to an episode I did a while back called uh, Break Free from the Bag, I think it was, Break Free from the Toy Bag. And so what how I see coaching is providing natural interventions and strategies to the natural environment. We all know what the natural environment is. And we, you know, there's no argument there that kids learn best in their natural settings at home, at childcare, at daycare, at the center, wherever it is, wherever they are, we know they learn best there. But they also learn best with their own objects, with materials that are familiar to them and things that they use every day. Same thing with the parents or caregivers. They also are more inclined to implement strategies and interventions with tools and objects and materials that they have access to every day and already use. So I just want to kind of put it out there that intervention does not come from a bag. It comes from what you do. However, you will bring things on visits. You will bring AT into this family's home that needs AT. You may bring tools that they don't have access to to trial. So the balance with that is not that you're never going to bring anything out. The balance is to know when to bring something out and what you're bringing out, like the purpose behind it, what is fueling the purpose. So, so that's that. I just wanted to put that out there. It's not that you're not going to bring anything. It's just that it's really planned. It's really purposeful. Um, and there's a reason behind it. And the reason isn't because this puzzle does this, or this object is good for working on this, or this activity really uses both hands, and I really want him to use both hands. So it it goes beyond that. Like there's a very specific reason it's talked about. So it's knowing when and what you're bringing out, because that can be a really slippery slope um, when you start bringing things out. Okay, some of the last ones. Um, coaching is just sitting on the couch and talking and asking questions. Uh, coaching does involve a lot of talking. That That is 
uh, for sure. I can definitely agree with that. Uh, it does involve asking questions. That's true too. But it's also listening, like knowing how to listen when caregivers talk and really tease out things that are a struggle, things that they might want to work on, um, and things like that. So I will say it's being a really skilled listener and yeah, absolutely. Asking questions and being reflective with, with families. Um, there's another misconception out there that coaching does not allow the practitioner to give information or share ideas. And again, I don't know. That's absolutely untrue. Through the brainstorming process, through the practice process, and feedback, and through feedback, you are going to share your area of expertise. You are going to share ideas and give information that they don't know, um, you know, because again, this this is all new to them. So it's just kind of choosing those moments on when to do that and also not um, trying to push those ideas first but also allowing the caregiver to share what they've tried or what they've done. So just pause. I feel like coaching is a lot of just listening and pausing and just really trying to figure out what's going on and then helping caregivers implement strategies that will be useful to them to help their children make progress. So it's it's definitely something that Um, It's not something you can plan for like a toy bag. Um, It's something that takes time and and sometimes does take a lot of talking. So that leaves less time for practice or less less time for putting your hands on on the child. And you have to be okay with that because there's going to be another visit. So don't worry. There's going to be another visit to practice maybe if one visit took more time talking or something like that. So be okay with that balance that I'm giving the caregiver this attention and we're talking a lot and both of you aren't doing as much with the child in that moment. Um, And that's okay. I'm going to piggyback on a myth I talked about earlier, which is um, coaching doesn't allow you to touch the time touch the child or, or do direct teaching with the child. Absolutely not true. You are going to model. So there are times you are going to put your hands on the child and you are going to model. Uh, the thing I want to say about modeling is number one, it's very intentional and you're explaining what you're doing, why you're doing it and how it connects to the ultimate goal of the parent or caregivers. So those three things need to happen And then once you model, that practice needs to be turned over to the caregiver. So I think that's um, a very distinct difference with coaching as a style of interacting with parents and caregivers is that our modeling is very intentional. And I think a lot of times with a more, um, with the older traditional practice of doing things, there was a lot of hopeful modeling going on. So 
we assumed parents knew that they could do what we were doing with kids when we were doing it with kids on the floor and that they were duplicating it or that they did understand or they did see what we were doing with our hands or our mouth or our pausing or whatever the strategies we were putting in place. Um, you were probably hoping that they were picking up on that. So with coaching and modeling with the coaching model, it's just very intentional. And, and there are always those two learners. There's the child and then there's the parent. We can't forget about them. So if we're doing something with the child, again, they need to know why we're doing it and what we're doing exactly and how it connects to that ultimate goal. Okay, so I've dispelled these 10 myths or misconceptions about coaching. So it should all be easy, right? No, it's not easy. So I just want to put that out there too. Like I read these things off and I kind of talk about them and it sounds really easy, but I I know it. I do it every day. It's not easy, but the more you commit you know, to the practice, the more you practice coaching, the better and more natural it comes, Um, the more of a relationship you can build with the parent and caregiver in the very beginning is key um, so that they know what to expect on visits and how the service delivery works. So that's, that's been key for me. Uh, it definitely is a slower process in the beginning with parents and caregivers. So you are going to take things very slow in the beginning. However, once you kind of hit your stride and, you know, things start working and they start clicking for both of you, things will start to take off much, much faster. I listened to a video from Rush and Sheldon. Um, I don't remember which video it was, but um, I'm sure it's linked on the R&R website. Um, But honestly, you are trying to work yourself out of a job here. You are not going to be going to this family's home every day forever. So eventually there's going to come a day where you're not there for the home visit and there are no more home visits. So coaching and Part C and early intervention, I really feel like lays the foundation for empowering parents and caregivers so they know they can do these things and that when you're not there, they can do these things. And when you're gone and out of the picture because their child is now three and in preschool or in kindergarten or in junior high, that they can still do these things. So it's important work and we're all trying our best. So and every visit is not going to be perfect by any means. Um, Funny, quick, funny story on Friday. I had a mom who did the dishes for half of our visit. She was in the kitchen doing her dishes. So am I going to shame that mom and say, hey, get back here. We're supposed to be doing our coaching visit. No, I'm not going to shame her. 
Um, I am just going to try and do my best to bring her in. When she's not doing her dishes, dishes, she is engaged. She is practicing strategies. However, there are moments where she disappears to do some laundry or do some dishes. She's not far. She's always in plain sight. But again, that's a situation where coaching is hard. And I am trying my best and and sticking to those pieces with fidelity. It might look a little different at certain times of the visit where she's doing when she's doing her dishes, for example. But um, I'm trying to stick with it nonetheless. So I'm going to end with a story to kind of balance that last story. Um, You will also have those amazing coaching visits where the parent has totally embraced this concept, embraced this strategy, and taken it to its fullest. I'll never forget the mom who we were talking about using visuals with her daughter in the kitchen to request food. And before my next visit, she had created her own. She had put them on the fridge and she had already started implementing it. So, and so when I arrived on that next visit with the visuals, I told her I would make, it was like, she was already 10 steps ahead of us now. So, There are those visits too, where this is like, wow, you get it and you're doing it and you're doing it really well. So hang in there, everyone. And thanks again for listening to another episode of Rainbows and Rain. If you have any feedback for the podcast or would like to share any ideas or tips, please email them to me at erikabo 80 at gmail.com. That's ericabo80 at gmail.com. Thanks again, and I hope you join me on the next episode of Rainbows and Rain.